Hello, everyone. You are listening to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am your host, Nick. And I am your second host tonight. My name is Yemen. We have a excellent guest with us tonight. Um, her name is Joyla Ferlano. Hi, Joyla. Hello. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And you're from the neuroscience department? Yep. Awesome. And you've just rolled over into your PhD, I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, May. So just very recently. Awesome. So going from master's student to PhD, what was all that like? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been too much of a change, um, but uh, it really it really depended on where I was in my project that kind of made me roll into my PhD. Um, I would say that, you know, I definitely feel the pressure of going from a, you know, one and a half year master's student to being a second year PhD student. Um, but that's okay. Uh, I welcome it. <laughs> um, and yeah, just, just where my project was, it made the most sense to roll right into my PhD. It's so just kind of mid-data collection. So why don't you tell us a bit about your project? So you said that you are in the neuroscience program, yeah. but a lot of your work has to do with exercise. So tell us a bit about what your project is. Sure, yeah. So it's kind of a hybrid of uh, neuroscience and kinesiology. Um, so it's, uh, broadly speaking, the field of exercise neuroscience. So I'm running an exercise intervention um, in older adults that are at risk of diabetes. So they're at, they are either pre-diabetic based on their uh, blood sugar levels or they're overweight. Um, and then these individuals are coming in to exercise in our lab three times a week for six months. And we're assessing changes in their brain health using MRI. Um, or and uh, cognitive function as well using a battery of um, pencil and paper tests. So why don't we unpack a bit there because your project seems very involved. So why don't we talk about your project from when a patient comes in to when they leave the door. So mm-hmm. uh, I assume you find these uh, participants uh, using various means of advertising? Yep. Uh, so mainly through community posters. We've put a few ads um, in some newspapers. I've attended community talks that are popular for older adults. But I would say uh, the most successful form of recruitment has been postering. Um, Although it really depends on the time of year. There's so many factors that contribute to how successful it is. Uh, For example, winter is a very tough time to recruit um, participants. Mm -hmm. But uh, and and of course, too, I'm I don't get participants all at once. Um, you know, I'll find a couple here and there. And then, for example, maybe like during the spring, I, I got like a larger group at once. Um, when it's a little bit nicer, I feel like more people might be motivated to exercise, to start exercising. And I also get a lot of couples coming in as well, or um, friends. So people will bring their friends to exercise. Um, So yeah, recruitment has been challenging for sure. Um, I currently have 15 participants of my target 20. So, uh, but that has been over the course of about eight months. So it's been very tough to recruit these people. Um, And then they come in and we do baseline testing with them. So they will do an MRI and we'll look at uh, their uh, brain structure and function and uh, we'll test their memory. We'll, we'll uh, do a, a wide variety of cognitive tests, looking at things like attention, language processing, of course, various types of memory. Um, and then after their baseline testing is finished, they will begin the exercise sessions. So those go on three times a week, and they come right into the exercise lab, 
and the all the exercise classes are instructor led and they're an hour long so they'll come in um, in terms of schedule we try to accommodate the participants but it's also very difficult because the exercise lab that we use is very popular um, so I've sort of been given the evenings and weekends time slots, so that makes it even more difficult to recruit people. So are you the one doing these uh, instructions on the exercise? Yep, uh, so me and I have a, a large team of volunteers right. just because there's so many classes that go yeah. on. Uh, the participants exercise in groups of uh four ideally because that's about the most that we can have in the exercise lab comfortably um but as small as groups as two so yeah you can just kind of um think about how many classes that equivalates to so yeah so myself and um i would say i have about 10 to 12 volunteers oh, wow. from the classes yep okay so you said uh, your participants are older adults yes. uh, who don't exercise regularly you know on their own yeah what is it about this uh population that interests you in terms of research? Yeah, so um, we're really looking at people that are deemed at risk of diabetes. Um, and a huge part of that, or one factor, is being sedentary, not being active. Um, and we want to, you know, well, there's a few aspects that we want to look at. One is how do we get these people interested in exercising? Um, how do we get them motivated to want to participate in exercise? Um, and then the other is how uh, we can use exercise to improve their brain and cognitive health because we know that individuals that are pre-diabetic, for example, so these are people that have elevated blood sugar levels but aren't high enough to be diabetic yet, we know that these individuals are already experiencing deficits, mm -hmm. brain deficits and cognitive deficits that occur within diabetes. So really the purpose of using exercise is to prevent this progression um, and further deficits and to improve their overall brain health. So why is um, the pre-diabetic group um, something that you'd be interested as opposed to a diabetic group? Um, yeah, good is question. This, is this like... Um, a group of people that you see as like a risk group, but also um, a group that, you know, you can you can kind of target them with exercise and then they will be less likely to develop diabetes. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's been a, a lot of research looking at people that are diabetic, uh, but very little research looking at people that are pre-diabetic. So right. sort of like this middle phase is very overlooked. And this middle phase, is it something that you like that these people like experience or is it kind of an invisible syndrome? It's sort of an invisible syndrome. Um, and a lot of these individuals aren't may not even be aware that they are pre-diabetic, which also adds to the difficulty of recruiting them. Um, and this is also why we've decided to include individuals that are overweight. Um, they're more likely to be pre-diabetic and it's a little bit easier to assess um, their eligibility that way. Because in order to determine whether our potential participants are pre-diabetic, we need to have them come in and we do a fasting blood test with them. Um, yeah. So do you do the same uh, fasting blood test with the overweight um, participants to see? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah, we treat everyone the same. Okay. Originally, we wanted to only um, look at people that are pre-diabetic and they may be also overweight. But again, because of the difficulties with recruitment, we've decided to group everyone together. So we have participants that are overweight and pre-diabetic. We have participants that are only pre-diabetic. And then we have those that are only overweight. So ideally, in the future, we would like to separate those groups. So I feel like uh, I'm slightly out of the loop here. Uh, I've 
I mean, I know that diabetes is a thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I wasn't aware that it had any sort of connection to the mind, to sort of um, neurological diseases or mm-hmm. anything like that. What What is the connection there? Yeah, so it's just been recently explored, I would say, in just like the last maybe few decades. Um, but diabetes is actually the second biggest risk factor to dementia, Alzheimer's specifically. Um, and it's associated with a wide variety of deficits, um, and especially things like accelerating uh, mm-hmm. age-related neurocognitive decline, um, so atrophy of a wide variety of um of brain regions, for example, the hippocampus shrinks in diabetes, and this affects everyday memory, for example. Um, so, yeah, diabetes has been uh, strongly linked to a, a wide variety of deficit brain deficits. Yeah. And so, you're thinking one of the possible pre- preventative or possibly treatment uh, measures is just to get regular exercise. Yeah, because yeah? we know that exercise has a lot of positive benefits mm-hmm. um, to the brain, and this is sort of just being explored now in this pre-diabetic group because not much is known. I guess it, you know, it ends up kind of being like a loop. So we're targeting these individuals who aren't currently active, but we're hoping to make them active in order to improve their brain health. Um, and that, you know, with that arises a, a, a lot of issues because it's very tough to, you know, how do you get these people up and going um, when they're, most of them aren't very motivated to exercise at all and don't really have interest in it. So. Right. So what kind of exercises are you having these people do? Good question. So we're doing, um, we're focusing on resistance exercise. So there's been a lot more research done in older adults, specifically this, this group, this population, mm-hmm. using aerobic exercise. But much less research has been done looking at resistance exercise. Um, so we're focusing on this and we're comparing our exercise, our resistance exercise group to a control group as well to try to um, control for any external variables that could affect the results. So things like socialization or coming to and from the program every week, things like that. So is your control group just people who sort of don't exercise? No. So um, they're, well, yes and no. So they do still come in and they do engage in exercises, but they're only Mm -hmm. balance and tone exercises using only their body weight. Um, And this hasn't been shown in this this population to improve cognitive function over time. So that's why that they're included, yeah. Okay. As opposed to the resistance, what sort of exercises are those? So um, we use a wide variety of uh, machines, exercise machines. Um, So things like chest press and leg press. Um, we do we use a row machine things like that Um, and then we also have our participants do uh, lunges uh, and mini squats using hand weights the great thing about the machines that we use is that they're super user friendly so all our participants have to do is insert a card and the card will completely load the machine for them and tell them exactly what they have to do in terms of reps and they don't have to worry about you know trying to memorize you know what number they're at or anything like that so that's been really good yeah Cool. Do you kind of, um, is your, is the exercise intervention program over the six months consistent or do you kind of ease them into it? Because I imagine someone who is not mm-hmm. used to doing exercise, who begins it all of a sudden, that might be quite challenging for them or even potentially unhealthy. So do yeah. you kind of ease them in a bit? Yeah, that's a really good question. And especially because these are older adults as well. Uh, we do have them get uh, physician approval before they begin the study, though. Uh, but we do absolutely ease them into the exercises. So for the first few weeks, they're just getting used to the machines. Um, we basically have one to two. So we'll have maybe one instructor for every two participants um, going around to each of the machines and demonstrating, having them try that without any load or a little bit of resistance. And then over time, um, the 
the resistance becomes progressive. Um, and but that's you know into the future when they become more comfortable with the machines and everything. Yeah. So you said into the future. How long has this? Um, experiment sort of been running. Oh, so the the experiment itself, um, I have my first group finishing their f- six months. Okay. Um, uh, so in the future, I just mean that from when they begin, they usually it depends. Everyone's different. So the goal is to have them sort of exercising um, at a decent resistance, maybe like the fourth week, third or fourth week. Okay. Um, but that doesn't always happen. Depends on the participant because um, we do have. Uh, many participants that have mobility impairments and things like that so we have to take those into consideration as well but my first group of participants have are just finishing their six months actually next week which is very exciting um, and then I have people at different stages though because it's so difficult to recruit so it's kind of ongoing uh, yeah now dare, dare I ask this but I can imagine that if you um, if you're a participant in this experiment and let's say halfway through you become very sick I mean these guys cannot miss a week, right? Because it has to be consistent. So what do you do in those cases if you've had them? Yeah. So I, uh, I've been very fortunate. Um, my participants have been wonderful. They've, you know, they've come fairly consistently um, every week. I have had a couple participants that have had to drop out due to illness. Mm-hmm. There's not much we can do. We, you know, we'll try to accommodate and have them come back when they're better. But, uh, you know, it, it's very tricky keeping people um, in the program so often like three coming in three times a week so we have a lot of for example when we started our first group they began their exercises in january well you know january there's a lot of illnesses Mm -hmm. um you know the flu there's people take a lot of vacations so we really have to work around their schedule so it it ends up being that most people have to you know, do some form of makeup sessions at some point during the six months. I haven't had anyone come consistently without having to ask for a makeup session at some point. But we just have them come in when they can. And, you know, we'll do, yeah, we'll do makeup sessions at their convenience. But that's, it's part of the challenge of having these people come in. Yeah. Well, that's just the reality of working with human participants. Yeah, exactly. Life always gets in the way. Yeah, for sure. So now that you're well on the way in this project, it's very complex. Um, what is really the goal of this project? Is your goal to learn more about prediabetes or is it to learn more about how uh, exercise intervention worked or is it more focused on the neuroscience? Good question. So um, the project, there's so many different parts to the project. Um, Our primary outcome measure, though, is feasibility because this type of study hasn't been done in this population before. So we first want to determine whether we can do a larger scale intervention in this group. So really it's a pilot study. So we're looking at things like adherence rate and retention rate and their overall satisfaction with the program, um, comparing it to other studies with a similar population to kind of get an idea of whether it is even feasible. And then we hope to be able to do a larger scale study in the future where we can look for, um, you know, assess brain changes and cognitive changes in a more detailed way. So you said your first group is almost done right now. Do you have a sense of um, how your participants are finding their participation in the study? Yeah, so I'm constantly in contact with them. Uh, I've been so lucky. My participants have been wonderful. 
and uh, yeah, it's so sweet. And but I'm talking to them basically every week. I want you know I, because I'm not there all the time at the exercise sessions because there's so many of them. I am constantly checking in to see how they're doing, and I ask for their feedback mm-hmm. every week to see if there's something that we can improve. And sometimes there is. They'll have some feedback. Um, but yeah, constantly checking in. But as of now, everyone seems very happy with the program. We've had really good feedback in terms of the way it's run and, um, you know, being accommodating and things like that. But I've also been really lucky that I've had really great research assistants mm-hmm. running the actual exercise classes. That's I think right. that's key because a lot of my participants want to come back specifically to see these people. Because uh-huh. don't forget, a lot of these individuals don't, you know, do a whole lot during their days and they really look forward to coming in and mm-hmm. socializing with these younger research assistants. Most of them are undergraduate students. So they really look forward to coming in and they also get to socialize with each other too. It's usually like a lot of my groups will be two couples, for example. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of them actually become friends and they go out, you know, outside of the exercise program. You know, they're asking us, oh, do you want to come out for coffee and things like that? So I think the socialization aspect of the project is uh, a, a really big factor to to its success. That's really sweet. Yeah, that's really. Hey, great. It's uh, it's the producer here just chiming in. <laughs> Ariel here. <laughs> Thought I'd ask uh, another question because sure. uh, Joel is a friend of mine, and I actually uh, hadn't hadn't heard too much in detail about your work, and it's really cool to hear about your study. Mm. It sounds like uh, it's going really well. Yeah. Um, uh, I had a question. Sure. Uh, more like on the the science part mm, yeah. <laughs> um, distinguishing and it's interesting how like because of how challenging it is to recruit you've had to expand you know your your demographic basically yeah. you've said it can't just be pre-diabetic it also needs to be who are people who are overweight yeah but I'm wondering if there maybe is a distinction between those two that you may actually be able to tease apart and maybe anybody's looked at that is everybody who's pre-diabetic overweight is everybody who's overweight pre-diabetic yeah. uh, is there reason to believe there's going to be a difference in effects on cognitive well, cognitive ability in uh, a di- pre-diabetic who is not overweight or a overweight person who's not pre-diabetic yeah no good question um it's really hard uh, to predict as of now, but there has been some research looking at um, individuals that are overweight. Not a whole lot in older adults that are overweight, and from you know, from my perspective, of what I'm looking at. Um, but there's hardly any research out there looking at pre-diabetics, so it's too early to say, you know. Um, in terms of comparing the two, what the differences will be. I'm hoping that um, with the success of this pilot study, knock on wood, that I'll be able to continue it and we'd like to actually uh, really expand the study and in which case I'll be able to actually have separate groups and then I can look at them as a whole all together as this you know, at-risk group, and then I can also um, sort of break it down into the individual groups. So, I unfortunately, I can't answer that detail just yet, but once I analyze some of my data, I will come back and share that with you. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, maybe we could have a follow-up. If you're going to be here longer for your PhD, we could always follow up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, on the subject of data, um, how exactly are you measuring? Like, what is it you're looking for in terms of um, sort of cognition or neurological states um, what sort of differences are you looking and how are you measuring those yeah good question um so we're looking at in terms of you know using mri to assess um, structure and, and function of the brain 
Um, I'm looking at things like the volume of the hippocampus mm-hmm. because memory um, seems to go fairly quickly in individuals that are diabetic, especially older adults. Mm-hmm. Seems to be one of the um, cognitive functions that's affected uh, pretty pretty early. So I'm looking at that. Um, I'm looking at activation patterns while they're doing a memory task um, during the MRI. And then I'm also assessing executive function using a variety of different tests. Um, so again, I'm looking at things like task switching and response inhibition and just a wide variety of uh, functions using um, standardized cognitive tests for that. Are you using the uh, Montreal Cognitive Assessment for that, for instance? I am, yes, yeah. that is one, absolutely, yeah, That's yes. certainly one of the most popular ones. It is, yes, mm-hmm. it definitely is. And uh, we're also using that to um, uh, assess um, mild cognitive impairment in our participants. Um, at the beginning, they're assessed for that. So that's one of our uh, eligibility criteria. That, that they don't have yes, any that impairment? Okay. Yeah, that they're not, uh, yeah, that they don't have mild cognitive impairment, yes. So we've talked a lot about your project, but I thought we could transition a little bit onto you as a student here at Western. Sure. So you are just starting your PhD now um, yeah. since you've rolled over. So why don't you tell the audience what rolling over means? Sure. Um, so I was a master's student um, in April, March, and then in May I became a PhD student. So I don't finish my master's degree. I don't defend my project. Instead, I just continue on into a PhD and it becomes my PhD project. Um, so with that, um, you know, basically I'm skipping a, a chunk of time in between the master's and the PhD because mm-hmm. I'm beginning as a P, as second year PhD student. But I still have all the same requirements as any other PhD student. And in fact, for example, I, I have to pretty quickly begin prepping for my comps, my comps exam. Um, yeah, so the comps are sort of a boogeyman all across uh, university campuses. Could you tell us a little bit more about, oh, this is the comprehensive exam. Correct, yeah. yeah. Yep. So what's that like in your department? Yeah, so in our department, in the neuroscience department, um, you're basically given a choice of how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a traditional exam where you'll have a written component, so you'll be given a series of questions and you get to choose from. You get to choose a couple from them. Um, in our department, I think we're given about four hours for the exam. I know in others they're given more. In kinesiology, they're given seven. Um, so it's a, a quite a long oh, wow. exam, yes. And, uh, and then once you pass that, you uh, about a week later, you'll actually have an oral defense where it's very similar. You'll be asked questions in person, though, this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one option. The other is to write a proposal paper, um, and your committee will mark it, and then you'll also do a, an oral examin- examination for that as well, an oral defense, yeah. And which option did you choose? So I haven't fully committed to it, but I think I'm going to do the traditional. Okay. Um, The exam. Yes. I've been back and forth with what I wanted to do, um, but I've spoken to my supervisor and she recommends that I do the traditional for practice. I think it will be good practice for me. It's been a while since I've taken like a written exam, so it'll be good, Um, but I will be very nervous for it. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Thank you. And speaking of your supervisor, um, she is in kinesiology, but what, first of all, who is she and what made you decide to work with her? Yeah, so I work with Dr. Lindsay Nagamatsu. Uh, She's a a young professor, assistant professor in uh, kinesiology here at Western. She hasn't been here for too long, just a few years. Uh, I came across her work online, actually, Hmm. and uh, she, you know, she does 
a lot. So she looks at things like, of course, exercise and the brain, but she also looks at, um, I have one of my lab mates doing a meditation intervention with older adults. She looks at uh, falls risk in older adults and factors that contribute to that. Um, And I, you know, I messaged her, I I reached out to her and uh, she was wonderful. We met in person um, and yeah, she's just a great supervisor. She's super supportive. She's allowed me to really bring in my interest into my projects. Originally, I wasn't even sure that I was going to do exercise, but I'm very passionate about physical activity and health and wellness and those types of things. So she allowed me to include that in my project, which is wonderful. Um, And yeah, I have absolutely no regrets with my supervisor choice. And that's a main reason of why I decided to actually roll into my PhD is to continue working with her. Well, that sounds lovely. But uh, so on the subject of interests, um, when you're not in the lab, when you're not you know, writing papers when you're not studying for the comprehensive exams. Is there anything else you like to do outside of school life? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I've been in the lab a whole lot, but mm-hmm. I'm sure every graduate student can say that. Um, but I am fairly active. Um, uh, you know, I enjoy playing sports just mm-hmm. recreationally, play soccer on our neuroscience team. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm constantly doing things in the community. I, I try to stay very involved. Um, at Western, partly because, you know, if if, if I don't, I, I don't really see a lot of people throughout the day in my uh. little tiny lab. So it's nice to, you know, get involved and meet other graduate students in other departments and things. And um, uh, I have two cats at home, which I absolutely adore. Uh, so I spend a lot of time with them. But. What are their names? Uh, Fluffington is my, <laughs> is my oldest and Wolfie is my youngest. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> How long have you had them? Oh, uh, Wolfie is a year and I got him at about uh, four months old, so not too long. He's a very skittish little guy, unfortunately, so I'm trying to work him in. And Fluffington I've had for four years now. And he's just a very needy, loving guy. <laughs> very <laughs> <adorable>. fuzzy. <laughs> so, yeah, they're a huge part of my days for sure. <laughs> All right, Jorah. Uh, thanks so much for coming on oh, thank uh, you and sharing you. your experiences here with us. Of course. Best of luck in your studies thank and your you. exams um, in your kitties. <laughs> thanks. So this has been a GradCast. We are a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. My name is Yuma Chen. I was joined today with my other host, Nick and with our guest, Joyla. And in the middle, you may have heard our producer chime in. That's Ariel Frame, shout out. If you'd like to come on to GradCast yourself as a guest, or perhaps join the committee and uh, have yourself behind the microphone more often, or do producing roles, you can get in touch with us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And always come visit our website at gradcast.ca, where you can find archives of all of our episodes And of course, listen live on CHRW every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Stay cool out there, I guess. Man, it's been hot. (laughs) Is this mic so hot? (laughs) Ah, That was a joke. (laughs) The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.